Right now, there's a lot of analysis paralysis happening with buyers, where most buyers are probably still sitting in a room by themselves. They're not actively with their teams. They're not watching them work. They're not having the normal interactions that they always did to have their you know, finger on the pulse. They're meeting with a collection of Zoom meetings. And while we know we can operate that way, I think an entire virtual culture can also be detrimental when it comes time to having to pivot your organization or decide what is right for them because you don't have that same level of, I'm seeing my people, I am hearing them, I am bought into the company, I can walk over there and talk to marketing, I can head over here and check in with revenue operations. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Christina Brady. Christina is the Chief Strategy Officer at Sales Assembly. And in our conversation, we talk about what the biggest challenges are for companies in scaling their revenues. After that, we then shift gears and dive into the topic of certifications. More specifically, this is a topic that gets revived every few years. You know, should there be standardized certifications for salespeople? Like there are licensing exams that exist for CPAs and for lawyers and doctors. So should we be doing the same for sellers? We also then dig into sales cycles. Data suggests that the average deal cycle in B2B tech is transitioning from 60 days to 75 to 80 days. So we dive into this and explore what these longer and more involved sales cycles mean for sellers and for sales leaders. So we get into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Christina, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to have you. Um, You're joining us from where today? Uh, I am in Chicago, chilly, chilly Chicago. (laughs) Yeah, it's chilly here in New York today too. It's it's uh, actually it's one of those days where when we woke up it was almost sixty, and now it's uh, mid thirties. So during the As course a, of the day, <laughs> you never know, right? As a somewhat yeah. former New Yorker, I I feel that I I seem to have lived in the two climates that are unpredictable. Yeah, yesterday it was uh, no, I think on Wednesday of this week it was fifty five and raining, you know, and now today it's twelve. Yeah, so. You just don't know. Don't know yeah. what you're going to get. That's why I try to spend as much of my time as possible in San Diego. Smart. <laughs> I avoid that's, that. Yeah. That's how you do it right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get the best of both worlds going back and forth. So, mm-hmm. so tell us a little bit about you and Sales Assembly and what you do. Yeah. So uh, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer of Sales Assembly. And what we do is we we help companies scale. So we're specific to the B2B tech space. And we basically help partner with them to provide uh, every employee at our member companies with everything they need. So training, strategy, hiring, advisory, certifications. It's essentially meant to partner with them to save them a lot of time, save them a lot of budget, and um, attack their needs as they scale on an individual basis for all of their employees, regardless of role. So I've been there for... outside Outside of sales, even. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sales, marketing, client success, revenue operations. We have some Mm -hmm. HR content. We lean in with the executive. So it is meant to address the entire revenue engine. And a lot of those roles, I think to your point, that don't necessarily always get the support, right? The Mm -hmm. support always goes to the sellers. But then you have maybe a new ops professional who's like, I I would love some training. That's We're here. 
Yeah. That's <laughs> oh, what we do. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I've always, there's a question I've always been fascinated by is what does a chief strategy officer do? You know, depends on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I chief a lot of strategy. Now, so yeah. uh, my role here is I, one, I really address kind of our executive presence and make sure that my ear is to the ground and filling gaps. So I look out for our product and I look out mm-hmm. for our curriculum and I make sure that basically what we are offering in membership Mm-hmm. is actually meeting the needs of the folks that we are serving. And so for me, one, I've got my eyes set on product, product iteration, tweaking, Q&A, creation. Uh, and then also I work a lot one-to-one uh, in an advisory standpoint with executives mm-hmm. and leaders. Like I'm, I'm an executive coach. I love doing that. And so think of strategy for the business from a, are we actually serving our members the way that they need to be and are we evolving as they do so that everything we offer is always relevant and timely so Mm -hmm. that's where i'm plugged in so when somebody decides to join somebody a company decides because it's companies that are members right right is so when a company decides to join sales assembly what's typically yeah the challenges they're confronting at that point in time i would say so we have some members that are just getting started pre-seed seed companies. We also mm-hmm. have some really big names like LinkedIn and Groupon and Glassdoor. Mm-hmm. And I would say those outliers are using it for more individual team needs. The average company, probably that series BC, maybe 100 to 500 uh, people. They have a, I always say they're, they're competing for a lot for $1 worth of spend, right? So we have a dollar and we can either spend it on marketing or we can spend it on hiring or we can spend it on sales training. Mm-hmm. Um, where do we spend that $1? And a lot of times they have the vision, they have the people in place, but they don't have the resources they need to properly enable their folks or pay what they need to, to be competitive from a hiring standpoint. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're starting to experience some of the struggle of rapid scaling, like changing of comp plans and quotas and shifting OTEs. We lean, lean in where we need to with those and we'll help to train their folks will help them to hire and find the people that they need. Um, we'll meet on a one-to-one basis with their leadership and help them solve those comp and quota questions. So we kind of lean in, in all those areas. Hmm. So you so actually get involved with hiring. We do. Yeah. We have a really wow. kind of unique hiring platform um, and it's all included in membership. So you could hire a hundred people with our help and we don't charge you a dime over what you pay for membership. So yeah, you have an interesting membership. Because I, I was talking to one of your founders uh, six months or so ago. We were having a conversation. Yeah. And yeah, I thought it was fascinating. So one price, right? One one price. That's right. There's there's one price. It's Perfect. all in. Never ask you for another dime throughout the course of that year, no matter what you utilize. So it's like a and, buffet. Yeah, and it's is it tiered by size of company or it's the same price for all companies? It's the same price for all companies. Huh. Um yeah, so it's we and part of it is we want to keep it really really simple. We want to keep it very digestible and we don't our whole mission is helping companies to scale. Right. Uh, and so it's always felt somewhat punitive to help them scale, help them hire, help them grow and then charge them more because of that. <laughs> it's like, well, you helped us get here and now it's more expensive because because right. of that, you know. So and again, the idea is, you know, I I know what companies pay for the resources that we provide. I used to be one of the buyers for that. And it's really Mm -hmm. hard to scale when you're paying six figures for training or paying six figures for hiring, or when you have to hire a consultant and pay them $50,000 for two meetings, and then you still have questions. And it's just, it's so hard to get done what you need to get done. And then you think every 
department in a growing SaaS business has those exact same needs and everyone's fighting for the budget and the time and the resources. So we're trying to shake it up. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's very different. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's your approach. So yeah, I find it, I, yeah, I find it very interesting. I mean, I think that that there's a lot to be said for that is, is uh, yeah. People derive different value from, from it based on the organization, but, uh, yeah, if you have one fair price, I don't know, from a marketing perspective, it seems like it's uh, very attractive, I think, to clients. Thanks. That's what we're going for, you know? And Good. it's uh, coming coming from working in executive-level positions at two member companies. So mm-hmm. I come from Groupon, I come from Glassdoor, mm-hmm. both of which are still currently members. It's, right. you know, the value that I can bring is let me put myself back there and think right. about what was frustrating me every day and what I needed and now take that knowledge and build it into this membership um, right. and just keep making it stronger and bigger and bigger. And of course, the power's in the community. So sure. what's neat about it is it's it is it's a gigantic community. You know, we've got almost 200 tech companies that are involved in this. That's mm-hmm. 20, 25,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, the more members we get, the more powerful that community becomes. So it really is just this, this self-feeding machine that is aiming to just you know, help maybe some of those companies that wouldn't make it past that B or C round. And, and maybe we can help, maybe we can help them do that. And along the way, we can highlight some voices that don't necessarily get the, the attention or platform that, that they mm-hmm. need. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of opportunity. And so that's what excited me about it. Yeah. Well, so let me ask a question. Cause you brought it up before you talked about certifications. Um, yeah. I'm sort of always curious about this and you know, is, is, is sales a profession where we need more certifications? Certifications I mean, like, are so buzzy. Yeah, but I mean, I'm thinking from perspective of, of like, you know, professional certifications, like a you know, certified financial planner or, uh, you know, other profession. I mean, there's certainly a lot less critical professions that require certification. You know, people cut your hair, for instance. But, um, you know, this topic's come and gone several times in sales, so certainly even over the last decade. And there's been some people saying, yeah, we need more sort of independent third-party certification of sellers. I was wondering what your, your thought is on that. Such a good question, because when we were starting to build these out, um, and when I say certifications are so buzzy, I mean, it's it's a popular thing where you've got a lot of people mm-hmm. that collect certifications like yep. their figurines. Um, mm-hmm. And kind of one of my commitments is no fluffy content. Um, mm-hmm. If we're going to take the time of the sellers of these members or the leaders of these members, we need to be responsible with that. And it can't be, let me sit in this room for five hours and get a piece of paper. Because what really I think people for certifications are sexy because you can put them out to your network to show, I know what I'm talking about. Like, it's it's a way to elevate your brand. Mm-hmm. So I get why a lot of companies have them and why a lot of people go certification crazy. Like, sometimes I'll see folks on LinkedIn who are like, oh, I just got my, you know, marketing certification. And I'm like, what? what you're a lawyer. What are you? You know, it's like, <laughs> and this is kind of wild. Like, what, what do you mean you're certified? So for us, there's a big difference between a training and a certification. Certification okay. is, are we, are we... Not only teaching you foundational skill-based content that will help you succeed and master your role, Mm -hmm. but after which are you put in a position where you can show that you now have that acumen. 
right? right? So this idea of certification is you are teaching me a skill that I either don't have or I'm not doing very well or need to have. And then afterwards, I am in a position to go practically apply that, right? It's different than like an hour-long training. And so we wanted to lean in here because one, certifications – whether they're great and there's some great ones out there or a little bit fluffy and there's some fluffy ones out there. Absolutely. Um, they're really expensive and they take a lot of time and that makes them inaccessible to a lot of folks and a lot of companies. And mm-hmm. what we hear all the time from companies are so much of the way our sales team operates is very tribal, right? Everyone's doing things their own way and we're having a hard time establishing a base of foundation to build upon. So we know every single seller in our organization has gone through the same training and now we're building on that. So certifications can help with that, where if you know that, you know, hey, if you're going to be an AE at XYZ company, we go through this certification, you get these foundational skills, you get certified in that content, And now we know that we're able to build our sales process on top of that. Um, For others, they're using it to help to promote and advance into another role. But the Mm -hmm. main idea here of if I pay for a certification, is it actually going to help me? Is it going to be good content? Is it a good use of time? There's a lot of question marks around that. Um, So building it into the membership was one of the reasons why we wanted to do that is take away some of those fears, but also build really good programs. We've got 15 different ones. 15 different certifications. So if somebody goes through, give an example of one, for instance. Um, like our account executive certification. Okay. So what are you certifying? So at, at the end, you know, is there some sort of test or assessment that goes on that says not only did they stay awake during this class, but they actually mastered something new? <laughs> As long as you stay awake, you're good. Um, so because these are all virtual and there's a there's a decision to keep them virtual so that sure. we can have a lot of people in there all at one time, there's a couple of ground rules. Um, one, you have to be in the room, on the Zoom, with your camera on the entire time. Um, and so we actually join every certification to ensure that folks are there, they're, they've not gotten up and left, they're not doing something right. else. Every but certification... Right. They're like, we can see your eyes open. Right. (laughs) You're moving. You're breathing. You're there. Um, Each certification is made up of four modules. And again, think of them like foundational skill base. So it Mm -hmm. could be email effectiveness, cold calling for leaders. It could be around um, setting your meeting cadence or establishing your hiring profile. Right. It's like Mm -hmm. things that are very core to the job. Four different modules, and the modules are more like workshops. So it's a combination of thought leadership from an industry expert in that area, usually a practitioner within the sales Mm -hmm. assembly community, Mm -hmm. Um, open dialogue and discussion, and then small group breakouts um, and conversations and activities where they'll go take take what they've been taught, go into a room with five others of their peers across the tech community, do this exercise together, come back into the room and kind of share what they learned, get feedback, Mm -hmm. hear about it. Mm-hmm. If they complete all of those things and they were active in all of that, they'll earn their certificate, which they get within two days. But then there's a continuing education component as well in order to keep renewing your certificate. So you have to continue engaging in content and in training mm-hmm. to ensure that you can stay certified versus you earn it. You've got it forever. It expires after one year and then you have to actively continue to participate and train in order to remain certified. And so this idea that there should be some sort of certification body. I mean, and some people have tried to become that. Um, Last one I think was a few years ago that I remember. 
Is that something that you think employers care about, don't care about? I think employers care that their teams are, if they're not going to be spending time doing their job, that they're spending time doing something that's going to help them do their job better. Mm -hmm. Certifications are a great way to do that if you do them correctly, because you know that it's focused on very tactical job skills. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of our companies like those and want folks to go through them because they know it is very, very honed in training that they will Mm -hmm. hopefully see an ROI and better performance and at least an appetite for learning amongst Mm -hmm. the groups. And they're not wasting their time off the floor because, again, that's a big responsibility, right? We're going to take 30 of your sellers off the floor for six hours. Um, That costs a lot. Like if you think about the cost of the – so we have to be responsible with that and say by the time they come back to their seat tomorrow – they're going to perform better. They're going to use what they learned. Um, and there's going to be a turnaround. Yeah. I mean, do you typically do the, the uh, certification cohort-based? Do it all in one day? We do. Now it's all in okay. one day. So it used to be two days. And oh. we got the feedback that for a lot of folks, actually, especially the leaders for the leadership certifications, that it was really hard to set aside that time. And I was like, that's true. So we condensed it into one long day. There's a couple of breaks in there, but it really is like a put on your sweat pants, bring your Mm -hmm. coffee, jump in front of your Zoom and like just get ready to learn. You know, we tell people like if you can turn off your email, turn off your phone, just be here, make the investment. We've got some brilliant folks who are going to teach you some really cool things Mm -hmm. um, and take advantage of it. Yeah. You see that possibly becoming an actual event at some point? A live event? Live, yeah. In person? Maybe. What's what's good about having it virtual is the room has become global. You know, so for example, our last BDR certification, we had almost 300 individual folks who were getting mm-hmm. certified mm-hmm. from the U.S., Canada. We had one in APAC. We had four mm-hmm. or five in EMEA. So it was very cool that all of those folks could be in that virtual room. Now, that being said, a live training is absolutely incredible to actually be there. But then you're we're taking, you know, this global presence and saying, okay, we're going to be in this room. So there may be an opportunity later on for us to do a live one in Chicago or New York or Boston and then zoom in everybody else. So Mm -hmm. not to say that it's off the table, but we want to make sure that they're accessible, whatever that looks like. Yeah. So you're uh, sort of changing course a little bit. You had recently put a poll out on LinkedIn about length of sales cycles. I thought was, was interesting. Um, yeah, you, you write the data suggests the average deal cycle in B2B tech is transitioning from 60 days to 75 to 80 days. Yeah. Um, and you say anyone working field knows this longer and more involved sales cycle means, yeah, leads to internal shifts and so on. So, uh, so what does longer mean in the context of a sales cycle? Well, I mean, in the plainest definition, it's I used to be able to call somebody and get them on the phone. And 60 days after that, I was closing a deal with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think now that the benefit that we have at Sales Assembly is we're able to hear from the horse's mouth the trends Mm -hmm. of what the sellers of a lot of these companies are experiencing directly from them. And so in so every week we have what we call our head of sales strategy meeting. And it's, you know, 30, 40 of the sales executives, C-suite VPs of our member companies who all get into Mm -hmm. a room and they just strategize with each other. 
And I started to hear this trend and dig into it of, are you all noticing, first it started with, are you noticing that it's a lot harder to set a meeting now? And it always was hard to set a meeting, right? Like sales is Mm -hmm. unbelievably difficult. It's intimidating. It was always hard. But now they're like, it's even harder to set a meeting. And then they were saying, well, it's, it's hard to be keeping the meeting. And then when the meeting is set, it's taking longer to follow up. And then when we do follow up, it's harder to get budget. And then when we do get budget and we're sending the agreements, they're not coming back as quickly or they're taking longer to go through procurement. So we're starting to hear this idea of everything stretching out, stretching out, stretching out. And I started to hear people say like, man, our our sales cycles used to be you know, 60, 70 days, another 80 or 90. Are you all seeing that? Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, nodding, nodding, hearing that. And so it just sounds like it's a lot harder now to nail folks down and to expedite through a sales process. And it's harder to create urgency. Um, and it's and it's it's a trend. Um, and I think we could attribute it to a lot of things, but it taking longer just means that the old idea of you know, create urgency, keep it going, strike while the iron is hot, don't let the lava cool. It's, it's harder now. I mean, BDRs and AEs alike are feeling like I, I am at the mercy of my customers working at home with their kids or dealing with a lot of other distractions that they didn't have or hiring a lot of folks or riffing a lot of folks. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's wild right now that it's taking a lot longer to just get the commitment for deals and get them through. And is this something that, that, because we certainly we saw some of this at the start of the pandemic, but is yeah. this something that's changed? Yeah, you know, just in the last several months, they're seeing this trend, or is this just a continuation of what started back in twenty twenty? I think it's gone from this is happening because of the pandemic, and maybe it's temporary, maybe it's not. We're all going to be very understanding to actually becoming an evolution within the industry, um, and I think the evolution is you know whether we like it or not, what's happened the last two three years has changed the trajectory of tech, I think, forever, for a lot of businesses, forever. What we thought wasn't possible is suddenly possible and the other way around as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was wild when we were kind of listening to what folks were going through in the very beginning of the pandemic, because I actually heard we're selling a lot faster, almost as often as I heard we're selling a lot slower. Um, and it just depended. Whereas now it seems like the volatility has evened out. And we are just seeing the decision-making process and urgency has just been extended. Um, And my question that I posted was, do we think that that's because we are trying to sell to the same people whose lives are now different the way that we always did? Like, does Mm -hmm. this require a change in terms of how we enable our folks or a change in our sales process? Like, should we change Mm -hmm. our go-to-market plan and strategy? So for me, it's just, it's interesting because this seems like almost a new norm, now that we have to address and talk about it. And it's not a, this is kind of crazy. Are you all seeing this? It's no, this is a thing that's happening. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's sort of curious because I was sort of looking at poll results and so on is, is mm-hmm. yeah. Is it, is it, <laughs> is this a buyer issue or is this a seller issue? Right. Right. Or is it both? I mean, um, because one question I'd have is, is our sellers having to spend more hours on each opportunity? It's an interesting way to look at it. It's, I don't know if it's more, it could be more hours if it's now more people, because I think companies are being a lot more careful about what they're spending their money on and what tools they're investing in. And so I think there's more decision makers that are brought in and that requires more time. 
right? Like we're hearing a lot happening where what used to be one decision maker, now they're looping in a second and a third and a fourth. And once we've decided what we all want to buy, now we have to go through procurement, right? So it's like, that's taking a lot longer. Yeah. I mean, Gartner's had their research, you know, the last umpteen years about a number of stakeholders going up. I mean, it, yeah. I think the last one I saw was, you know, 14 or 18 or something, but <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> yeah. Whether that's really truly the case or not in terms of what their involvement, but I, but this, the reason I asked the question is because I think <laughs> not enough people look at this in the way that they should, which is that, you know, your sellers are basically an inventory of hours, mm-hmm. right? And you, mm-hmm. need, you need to understand how much revenue per hour they're generating. And if deal cycles are stretching, are you investing more of the hours of the sellers in order to get the same outcome that you were before? In which case your total productive capacity from a revenue standpoint is dropping. Right. So yeah, these are really important things for companies to understand. Just wondering what, what, what we're really seeing, right. Is because is, is it decision cycles getting longer or has something happened where we're less effective sellers and it's really the sales cycle that's getting longer. Well, it's the sales cycle that is being extended. It's almost like there's more time in between each stage, at least from what we're saying, right? Because people are like, the most layman's term way to put it is people are harder to nail down. I'm having a much harder time getting that interested prospect on the phone. When I do get them on the phone, I'm having a much harder time being able to set my follow up with them because there's so many distractions. And so Mm. for me, it's almost, it's this, um, it's this buyer unavailability, even if that buyer has an interest in purchasing, it is so much harder to create the urgency between each step. And so what used to be let's sink in a few days becomes let's sink in a few weeks. And then when we sink in a few weeks, oh, somebody couldn't make that meeting because, you know, their child got sick and they had to go to the doctor. And so now we have to meet in two more weeks. And so it's like it's, it's this idea that everything is getting stretched, which to me – When you talk about ineffective sales process, I think what we should actually be looking at is the front of the funnel. And if we accept the fact that the sales process may be taking longer, um, then we should probably be throwing more hooks. Like there's probably some more bandwidth because I, I don't necessarily think it's that we're having to spend more time convincing or more time selling or my demos used to be 25 minutes and now they have to be 50. It's, it's, I'm just I'm just having to hit them a lot more often over a broader period of time. So if we increase the burner at the front end, it could be a way to address that because you would likely have a little bit more time now to put a few more hooks out because you know that it's going to be extended a little bit longer. Yeah. Well, I think this is, this is an issue which, which doesn't get enough attention because we get data like this, but I think we don't ever really truly understand what it means and it's hard to make decisions on on that. And it's and I say we collectively as a sales profession and and so on is 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 yeah, if if decision cycles, certainly I think your point is right, is if decision cycles have stretched, I meaning it's being driven by the buyer mm-hmm. and we're as sellers are not investing more sales time on each opportunity over an extended period of time, right? So if a deal right. goes an extra fifteen days, I'm not putting in three more customer interactions in there, but it's whatever number I had before, it's still the same number just stretched over a longer period of time. Right. Then you could say, yeah, then an AE should be able to have able to handle more deals simultaneously mm-hmm. with the same, 
without you know having to create time that doesn't exist for them. But yeah, you know, I also think think about it when people talk about decision cycles being stretched out is okay, especially when we're talking about software, it's not a capital expense. You know, it's probably not gonna be as directly impacted perhaps by rising interest rates and other things. Right. Is um there's an a desire to make a change, what's changed to make them less urgent to make that change? And I don't think sales, in my mind, doesn't create urgency. Buyers create their own sense of urgency on this stuff. So sales wishes they could create urgency. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that's a myth that's existed forever. So yeah. So what's happening then with the buyers if it's getting stretched out? And then you could also draw back to another of my points that I like to make is which, well, hey, maybe we're just not doing a very good job really understanding what it is they're trying to accomplish, in which case it is going to take longer because we're not getting them the information they need. We're not helping them make sense of the information they need in order to make that decision. And we're actually taking more of their time and attention to make that happen. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's hitting the nail on the head. I think it's that. Combined with the fact, problem. oh, totally. Yeah, I, I actually, I think, I think it's one hundred percent. I mean, no matter what, you have to take an element of extreme ownership here and say that it's we're not going to blame the buyer for our inability to sell to them, right? Like you're going to get nowhere. That might feel really good, but you're oh, going to no. get nowhere. Yeah, yeah I'm not saying blame. It's just it is what yeah. it is. So what totally. do you do differently, right? So on the one hand, I think there needs to be this level of executive empathy for understanding what buyers are going through right now in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think right now there's a lot of analysis paralysis happening with buyers where most buyers are probably still sitting in a room by themselves. They're not actively with their teams. They're not watching them work. They're not having the normal interactions that they always did to have their, you know, finger on the pulse. Mm -hmm. They're meeting with a collection of zoom meetings. And while we know we can operate that way, I think an entire virtual culture can also be detrimental when it comes time to having to pivot your organization or decide what is right for them because you don't have that same level of I'm seeing my people, I am hearing them, I am bought into the company, I can walk over there and talk to marketing, mm-hmm. I can head over here and check in with revenue operations. And so on the one hand, I think a lot of buyers know they need something and what they're getting in their inbox is a flood of sales individuals offering them tools to solve problems that they likely have, but they don't have the same level of awareness of what the company really needs to pivot or maybe an awareness of what the actual issues are. So mm-hmm. when you enter into a sales conversation with that buyer, it may be the first time they're thinking about that. It may be the first time they're thinking about, yeah, maybe this is an issue and now I have to figure it out, but I'm sitting in my office by myself and I'm not looking at my salespeople. So I got to find a way to learn what they need. And that's going to take me a little bit of time. And maybe it's going to hit my ego a little bit. And so it's this empathy of understanding that buyers are not as bought in and fully know what they need now as maybe they once did. And what does that mean for how we're selling to them? Sure. Well, it means the seller has to be more focused on the buyer. Yeah. Right. Less about trying to persuade them to buy your product. It's more about how do I go in and ask questions to really understand what's most important to the buyer? Let's use right. that as a point of departure because if I do that, then I can maybe help them think more broadly and more deeply about what the challenges they're facing are, which then right. crystallizes the urgency to do something. Yeah, and that, I think, that is the way. That is also, I think, intimidating for a company that has a lot of green sellers or companies that have a lot of sales folks who have maybe never had a consultative 
sell or have never been in an advisory role where they feel like they can actually guide their buyers. Like I think a lot of account executives do hide behind the product features and benefits and hope that that lacks up, you know, makes up for a lack of process and ability to do what at the core is a real discovery, right? So it's like when you have somebody who is brand new in a seat, it's, I know that I need to guide you and I need to approach this a little bit differently, but I'm new with this too, right? I know a lot about my product, but I haven't spent years understanding what folks like you were going through. I know what my product is. Um, So there's also that bridge Mm -hmm. that you have to get, you know, that, that gap that you have to bridge. So it's, it's a two prong problem, I think. Yeah. Well, I think it, yes. And I, I strongly believe that while product knowledge is very important and customer knowledge is very important is new people still have to be able to sell. And to do that, they need to be able to feel comfortable that they can lean into the basic sort of, I call sort of the human based skills, which is just yeah, being interested in the other person, being curious about the other person, yeah, seeking to understand that other person. That doesn't take specific product knowledge or right. and this is one of the things that yeah, I wrote about in my new book, it's just that we need to start sort of changing the seller's perspective about what their job is. So they move away from this you know, classic sort of obsolete notion that my job is to go persuade somebody to buy my product and think it's my job is to go out and listen to really understand what's most important to the buyer and then put together a plan to help them get it. Absolutely. And to spend a lot of an equal amount of time learning about the product and to your point, how to, how to sell it. Sure. Like you have to know the ins and outs of your product. You have to know how it's applied. You have to know your ICP. You have to know all of those things. But also, especially for a more technical sale or a sale where you're selling into potentially multiple different types of buyers or lines of business, mm-hmm. you have to understand who you're selling to. Like You have to understand what they do and how they might use your product and what their typical pains are. You need to know the industry that you're in. Um, and I think a lot of companies, that's a, that's a, that's a blind spot for them is how often are we teaching the nuances of the industry that we're selling to so that you can be an advisor and consult? Yeah, not enough for sure. Mm-hmm. I guess the point I was driving at is that everybody's new at some point or another, right? Totally. And, yeah. and you, still, you still have to hit your number. So mm-hmm. the people that make that transition the quickest, I believe, and my experience has shown and work with all the people I've worked with in my career – and my consulting businesses, they're the ones that are the most curious because, yeah. yeah, the company can teach you a certain amount, but you're going to learn it from the customer. If you're yeah. going in and asking the right questions, and the right questions, not there's a defined set of them, but if you're going in and just, you know, giving free reign to your curiosity, then the customer oftentimes will teach you exactly oh. what you need to do to sell to them. That, that's such an incredible point. It brings me back to, so learning how to sell in tech was when I was at Groupon um, mm-hmm. a number of years ago. And what was interesting about working there is at the time that I was there, it wasn't really segmented based on industries. Like it wasn't, here's food and drink and mm-hmm. here's, you know, luxury and and here's activities. It was, here's all of the businesses in Chicago Right. 
go get them to buy go sell to them right and i remember we were handed this like giant it was literally like a giant binder that without exaggeration i think it was like six inches thick you know and it's like read this binder Mm -hmm. everything you need to know and go and i remember my very first sales call when i got up the energy to sell and i was calling a spa and i was going to try to sell them a massage group on Mm -hmm. And I was dialing, and in my back of my mind, I'm like, please don't answer, please don't answer, please don't answer, because <laughs> I didn't, you know, I mean, I didn't know what I was, I was like, this is my first call, I just read the binder, and now I'm like, here's a spot, let's do it. And she answered, and, you know, I immediately was kind of caught off guard, and I was like, you know, hi, you know, this is, this is Christina, I'm calling from Groupon, and she's like, who? I'm like, Groupon? She's like, what's that? And I, you know, loosely explained what it was. And I was like, and, you know, we would love to talk to you about, you know, how, how we can help you out with your with your uh, massage parlor. And she goes, my what? I said, your, <laughs> your massage parlor? And she goes, well, a uh, parlor's where hookers are. I have an upscale spa. And I went, uh, oh. d- did I, did I, and I said, did I say parlor? She goes, yeah, you said it twice. And I said, did I? And cause I, and this mine, you know, in the back of my head, I'm screaming. <laughs> I'm like, I'm terrible at this job. I never want right. to do it again. And on then I, yeah. on my very, this was my very first sales call yeah. in tech. So before that I came from financial services and I was a, a financial planner and very, I mean, <laughs> so many stories from that, but this is my very first, like I'm in my new life as a tech person. Mm. And when she said that, I was so overwhelmed and embarrassed that I just said, I, I am so sorry. I'm, I'm going to try you back another time. And she paused and she was like, okay. I said, okay. And then I hung up the phone. And I just remember being like, what if she had answered? I was like, I don't know anything about the costs of a spa. I have no clue what she should run. I don't know like how, how long I should be or how I should structure it. And then I looked at the next thing in my book and it was a kayaking place. And I went, Oh my God, I don't know anything about kayak, you know? So it's this idea that like, I'm calling these folks with this idea of, I really want to help you, but I don't know anything about your business. I don't know what your costs are. How am I supposed to advise you? And it was this light bulb where I was like, I got to pick my specialty. I have to hone in here somewhere. And I need to, if I'm going to be good at this job, I have to understand the cost structure and the P&Ls for a restaurant versus a kayaking business versus a spa versus an excursion, right? Mm Because then at the same time, I'm calling somebody who, and I'm like, hey, let's do, you know, 30-minute scenic airplane rides. It goes, great, a 30-minute ride. He's like, my cost for this is 80%. What do you want to do? And I was like, (laughs) 50% off? He's like, not going to work. And I'm like, Mm -hmm didn't realize your costs were like that. Let's try something else. So I think my point is, and it's matching yours, is that professional curiosity of going, I can't have the conversation if I don't understand what it's like day in and day out to do the job that you're doing. How can I help you? I can't. I'm just trying to sell you at that point and hope that the product speaks for itself. Yeah. Yeah. My point was just that when people are new, it's okay. You're new. You don't have that knowledge. Ask the questions. The way you work your way through it is you ask questions, right? Started my sales career selling to CEOs, entrepreneurs of mid-sized construction companies in the Bay Area. <laughs> I was 21. I looked 16. I knew nothing. Right. But I could ask questions. And I, was, I wanted to learn. And I was curious. And I never had people kick me out of the office for asking too many questions. Right. Right. Well, because that, that's responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I obviously didn't win every deal either. But, but you know, at the same time. They're willing to give time to somebody who was interested and who was curious. And then, yeah, you acquire the knowledge as you go on. Make sure you continue to learn, ask questions to help you learn. But this idea that many sellers have is like, yeah, 
you know, if I just had this much more product knowledge or this much more customer knowledge, I could really, and it's like, world's not perfect. It's not how this works. Yeah. You right. got to go out and earn that knowledge. Yeah. And you, you build a relationship with a couple really incredible folks. And to your point, they will sit and they will explain it and break it down. People approach mm-hmm. other people with their walls down when there's humble and people naturally want to help. And so approaching it that way of people always feel good when they teach somebody else something, right? Even if they're the buyer and you're sure. the seller and you put them in a position of, hey, teach me about that. Like, Help me understand. Let me lean in. You'd be surprised. People light up. They do. If you approach it the right way. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Christina, thank you so much for spending some time with us. My gosh, you're so welcome. This has been a ton of fun. What a a great conversation. (laughs) So if people want to connect with you or learn more about sales assembly, what's the best way to do that? Uh, You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Christina Brady on LinkedIn. You'll see my picture with uh, my bright red hair and white Mm -hmm. jacket looking like a doctor of which I am not. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's me. If you want to learn about sales assembly, you can shoot me an email, Christina at salesassembly.com, or you can visit our website, salesassembly.com, and learn whatever you need to know. All right. Perfect. Christina, thanks again. (laughs) Thanks, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Christina Brady, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you could also leave us a rating or review, let us know how we're doing. Well, we'd appreciate that too. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.